Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And today I'm excited to have in the studio with me Jack Seymour, who is a professor professor emeritus of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and Religious Studies. He's also an ordained elder in the Northern Illinois Conference. He's written numerous books. I'll mention three of them. Teaching the Way of Jesus, which is one we'll mention today. Teaching Biblical Faith, Leading Small Group Bible Studies, and Yearning for God, Reflections for Faithful Lives. He's also a cyclist in recovery, <laughs> as he is recovering, uh, but enjoys cycling and also a bit of a sport enthusiast. And um, I've had a lot of fun with Jack uh, today and over the years getting to know him better, and I couldn't be more pleased that he is in studio with me. Jack, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Well, let's jump right into it. Like I said, we're going to focus on teaching the way of Jesus. And one of the things I always appreciate about your work is you kind of hold something in tension. Content is really, really important. How we impart that content is equally important. So I'm going to just say that as a launching point and and let you jump in. Um, Let me talk both about teaching content and also teaching that connects with our everyday lives. That's a good way to put it. I like it. And the process of teaching. Um, clearly, content is extraordinarily important. Yeah. Um, but content and method for me need to be coordinated. Mm. In fact, if you're teaching content alone, mm-hmm. short lectures with questions and feedback are really a, a very good way to get at it. Short lecture. Yeah, I usually <laughs> say a short lecture because uh, it's a clear focused presentation of information that people need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's short so that it does not help their minds wander right. in other directions. That's right. But even if you're just focusing on content, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that you stop often for feedback mm-hmm. and questions yes. so that it's crucial for you to try to figure out, are people understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. Are there misinterpretations that they came with that uh, need to be addressed at this time? Are we, in fact, learning what we need to learn? Yeah. So when we're thinking about content, f- for me, always, there's this, um, how do I present information that's clear, but how do I also engage feedback so that I know that learning is, in fact, occurring? Yeah. Teaching's not about teaching. Teaching is about learning. Oh, yeah, well said. And so the question is then, what are people learning? How do we focus on that learning process? Yeah, and I know too many who they think just because they're saying it, they say A, they think hearers are going to hear A, when sometimes they hear B. (laughs) Right, or C, or D, or E, or F. Yeah, absolutely. So being able to call them back to, to, to do that. Yeah. So what are some ways to do that? Other than just asking questions, what are some ways we can get feedback? And um, um, Tell people to talk to a neighbor for a okay. minute and to share back um, uh, what the conversation uh, that the two of them have had. Yeah. Uh, have them ask questions. Um, summarize 
a set of content that you shared with them and then ask, how do you respond to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what, uh, what does this mean for you? Uh, what kind of questions come out of this? Yeah, good, good. So I, I just finished reading your book last week, and it is, it, one of the things I will say is that one of the things I enjoyed about it is how thick it is. Like this is this is not light reading. This is a good thick book, and you you go over a lot of biblical history uh-huh. in that book, right? It's it's not just simply about teaching methods. It's very much this is what the context of what Jesus was dealing with and how he taught in that context. And one of the, one of the main things I pulled away from the book is our calling to form theologians. I guess is right. one way to say that, right? Yeah. So can you talk about how we how we do that? How we form theologians. Yeah, yeah. I would want to argue that everyone is struggling, sometimes more, sometimes less, to make sense of what's happening in our lives. Yes. And when we connect the religious resources of our tradition, Mm -hmm. for those of us who are Christian, Mm -hmm. it's the story of the way of Jesus and how we try to live that out. When we try to connect that with our daily lives, that's what theology is all about. That's right. Every one of us are called throughout the day to interpret what happens in front of us and to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one silly little example, uh, well, it's not really a silly example, but if you're driving down the street uh, in your automobile and you see in front of you flashing lights. Okay. Uh, you have to decide, am I going to pull over because mm-hmm. an emergency vehicle is coming toward me? Is there a traffic situation in front of me that I have to slow down for? Or is there a real problem in front of me and I should turn off and take another road? You're making a decision. Right. And so when we're, when we're driving, we're making a decision. When the events of our lives... Uh, we have someone call us with news, mm. and it's good news or bad news. Right. And it doesn't matter whether it's good news or bad news. When somebody calls us, we want to respond. Mm. And when we respond to that, we, in fact, are interpreting what's happening in our daily life. So the events, the experiences of our daily life call for us to interpret. Mm. And the only thing we have to draw on is information that we already have in our mind and perspectives that we already have. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, a few years ago, uh, my spouse, Margaret Ann Crane, and I did a book called Yearning for God, Reflections of Faithful Lives. Mm -hmm. What we did was we interviewed over 100 lay people in four different cities. Oh, okay. And we interviewed them individually about their own faith lives, And we also then brought them together in small groups to talk with each other about questions that we primed them with. Mm -hmm. And we discovered that people are on a regular basis calling on what resources they have to try to make sense of the events of their lives. Mm -hmm. And for many people, um, those religious resources are very powerful. Some people had a wealth of religious resources to draw on. Others only had a few. And in the small group, they were able to share with each other and to grow in the midst of that. 
For example, one of the people in one of the groups we had had a near-death experience. And he was asking the question, why am I still here? Mm. What does it mean for me to be who I am at this moment? Another person had been fired from a job. Mm. And the question was, what's my vocation? How am I struggling to make sense of life? There was another person in the group that happened to be a child in Germany at the end of World War II wow. and grew up near one of the Holocaust death camps. Mm. And for the whole rest of his life, there was a struggle. When he immigrated to the United States, he still continued to wrestle with the question, why do we do the kinds of things we do for each other? Now, those are all big examples. Yeah, sure. But on a regular basis, we're called to make sense of what my vocation as a child of God is mm. and how I want to try to live out my discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to help people. We need to give them the re- religious resources to do that. But we also have got to provide the settings Mm. where people can have those kinds of conversations, those rich conversations, to grow in the faith. And uh, the Wesleyan small groups are one of the absolute best ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah, two things came to my mind as you were sharing. First, I really like that illustration about the the ambulance coming or the— because I'm in the process of teaching my 15-year-old how to drive. Right. <laughs> and and like you say, it's a decision, right? And and one of the things I constantly wrestle with is how much resource do I give him and how much do I let him make this decision on his own, right? So um, and there's, that leads to a question, but you also named the other thing I was going to say, and that's exactly what the work John Wesley was doing, right, is giving people the resources, the means to take uh, their Anglicanism and, and put it into to practice in our daily life. So say more about these resources. What what resources do you exactly mean when you say we need to help them with the resources to become critical theologians or, you know, I think in the way we often say this in the podcast is disciples who make other disciples. Yeah, disciples who make other disciples. Um, we have a very rich religious tradition. Yeah that comes out of our Judeo-Christian roots. Mm -hmm. Um, We know there are other major religious traditions out of which people make sense of their lives. Mm -hmm. So one of my concerns, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, Mm. is how do we draw on that wealth of resources that come out of the Judeo-Christian tradition? And as you know, for me, the primary focus is um, how do we live the ways of Jesus? Um, uh, Jesus drew on his own Jewish uh, uh, upbringing and reality, but he drew on that that upbringing and reality in the midst of a world that was falling apart. Mm. Uh, Israel and Galilee were under the subjugation of the Romans. The Romans decided um, even whether the high priest could have the vestments to lead religious services. Mm -hmm. After religious services, those vestments were taken away from them and taken down and kept in the Roman stronghold at the base of the temple. So Romans were regularly determining the reality of people's lives. And in Galilee, that meant uh, often 
that people were losing their farms, they were losing their substance. You know, Jesus tells all of these stories about day laborers um, uh, because of the increased taxes that Romans and the increased burden that were was being put on people's lives. The whole community was deteriorating. So we, we find Jesus drawing on the resources of his religious tradition, drawing on his spiritual resources mm-hmm. with the one he called his father, mm-hmm. drawing on the realities of people's everyday lives, and struggling to find a way to live in the midst of that, a way that his disciples thought was so important that they've passed on to us and uh, those are the ways of Jesus that we need ourselves to seek to use to make sense of our lives. Good. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Um, and in the book, you name some of those resources, right? You name the um, – and, and I think you draw – if I remember right, you draw a lot of Luke 4, Luke chapter 4, yeah. where Jesus uh, preaches from, from Isaiah. Yeah, I, I would argue – that the ways of Jesus are focused on probably two realities, um, uh, primarily. I mean, there's several other things I could talk about, but two primarily. First, as a good Jew, Jesus prayed the Shema Israel every morning and every evening. That prayer is, and we've heard it many times, listen, listen, our God is the Lord. Only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength. And in fact, that particular prayer continues into the next book of the Torah. So it talks about loving your neighbor. Mm. So at the heart of Jesus' preaching and teaching was how does one every day, in every moment of the day, seek to love God and to love neighbor? Yeah. But more than that, for Jesus, there was this experience of the return of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Luke 4, if you look at the Matthew passage of sheeps and goats, mm-hmm. if you look, in fact, at the ministry that Jesus's brother James maintained in Jerusalem after Jesus's death and resurrection, mm-hmm. you see that the focus of that was on how do you identify the markers of the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And for Jesus, those were when the healing of the sick is occurring, mm-hmm. when the grieving are being held up, when we give sight to those who are blinded or deaf to the needs of others, when we forgive those who've sinned, when we pro- proclaim release to prisoners, when we preach good news, when we restore community, or when we enact shalom, mm-hmm. those are moments of God's kingdom, kingdom presence in the midst of our world, and Jesus was pointing people to those all of the time. And he was frustrated at times that people could not see the emergence, the call, the vocation of God that was happening through those various events that were occurring in people's lives. Yeah, I mean, they accuse him of blasphemy. They say what he's doing is from Beelzebub, and <laughs> yeah, to say frustrated, yeah, that, that's right, what, certainly one right. way to put it. Well, one of the other things I, I appreciated the, in the book is is how you, you get at discipleship, and discipleship being 
uh, very key to this podcast and what we do. And as I was reading it, Tom Albin's definition of discipleship kept coming to mind anyway as I was reading this. And his definition is discipleship is saying yes to allowing Jesus to be Lord over the next experience you will face. And I always appreciated that definition because it's not just something rooted in the past, but it's about I'm allowing him to be Lord over whatever it is that's coming up next. So say more about discipleship and how how we're forming theologians and how that fits in. Um, uh, the, 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 let me go out of our tradition to John Calvin. Who, uh, uh, the Cal- second time Calvin's been mentioned on this podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> Calvin used a wonderful phrase that we are engrafted into Christ. Yeah. And it's like we're hybrids. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we, we are, um, uh, we grow on the vine that is Christ is the foundation. Or another way of talking about that is we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so the question is, and I think Tom is very right in the way he puts that, the question is how do every morning and every evening we put on a set of glasses, a set of lenses, that we're looking at the world through those ways of Jesus. Mm. The way I like to talk about it is that to be Christian means you follow Jesus. So the question is, how are we putting those lenses on us every day? L- 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 let me give you an example. A few years ago, I was uh, teaching in southern Indiana at um, uh, St. Meinrad Seminary, the Roman Catholic Seminary in uh, uh, St. Meinrad, Indiana. Okay. And um, in the class I was teaching were a group of Sisters of St. Joseph. Okay, yeah. And uh, I began... And without, very naively, I said, let's look at the process of biblical study, biblical exegesis. And the passage of Scripture that I chose was the Magnificat in Luke. Yeah, sure. And and so the first thing I said was, when was the last time you heard the Magnificat? The four sisters of St. Joseph that were in the class said immediately, this morning. This morning, that's right. And I said, (laughs) "Uh, uh, please tell me what you're saying. Right. And they said, as sisters of St. Joseph, every morning that we arise, we read the Magnificat in Luke. Mm. And we are to say, how are we to live this out through the day? Mm. And every night when we go to sleep, we read the Magnificat and ask ourselves, how have we lived that out through the day? So to, wow. to me, a rule of life to them, yeah. it's a rule of life. Yeah. And so when Tom talks about... Um, uh, putting on the eyes of God or putting on the eyes of Jesus or trying to do as if we're following Jesus, then the question is, how are we putting on those ways of Jesus? How are we seeking to love God and love neighbor? And how are we looking for those markers of healing, of justice, of hope, of uh, holding up the grieving, of announcing good news? How How are those at the center of who we are as human beings and how we live our lives out as followers of Jesus. Yeah. And so another important part of your book is then how do we leverage, maybe the right word, the, the experience that comes in the room when adults come in, right? We have, in our mind, as, as if we're the leader, facilitator, teacher, whatever language we want to use, we have an idea of, boy, I want to impart this, whatever this is. Um, but oftentimes we do that and not think about what experience is walking in the room that can really add and enrich 
Yeah, so how do we yeah. take advantage of that? If we're a small group leader and, and if we're more cognizant of, of exactly what you're saying, this is the goal. The goal isn't just to impart knowledge. The goal is to help them become uh, good disciples who make disciples. How might we leverage experience? Um, uh, the, 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 there's a little um, uh, kind of summary okay. that, that, that I often use when I'm uh, thinking about teaching. Uh, one part of it is we have to pay attention to the text, to the content. Okay. A second part is we have to pay attention to the learners. Mm. And a third part is we have to pay attention to how we teach. Oh, that's good. Now, now I, I think you can find all three of these in the way of Jesus, ta- okay. the, Jesus taught. And if yeah. you look at the Gospels, you can find that. But um, one of the things we have to realize is that the people we are in small group with mm-hmm. are bringing the various experiences of their lives to that event. Mm-hmm. They may just have received a telephone call that they're moving. Mm. They may have just received a telephone call that they have a serious illness. They may have just received a telephone call that uh, – one of their children is coming home from college for the weekend. All of, <laughs> all of those events yeah. um, uh, are alive in people's minds as they sit down around a table in a small group and are trying to learn. Yeah. And sometimes those are assets to our learning. True. And sometimes they shape and get in the way of our True. learning. And if all we're doing is pumping content without understanding how people are responding to that content or connecting with it, then it's, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. again, teaching is not about teaching. Teaching is about learning. How do we help people learn? Uh, how do we know what they've learned? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, how do we know how that learning is becoming part of their everyday living. Learning is not just to stack it up on a bookshelf right. behind it. it. It becomes part of what's happening with our everyday lives. Your son, yeah. he's learning tools of the trade, rules of driving, yep. ways of avoiding crises <laughs> when he's driving. Especially when the wife, his mother's in the car. <laughs> Well, uh, 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 both of my daughters learned that one of the things that you do when you turn a turn signal on, you're going to change lanes. You better turn on a turn signal and change lanes quickly because both of them turned on their turn signal and slowly (laughs) moved into the next lane and had an accident. Oh, That's back in the years when they were learning to drive. But, you know, that's the reality. Sure. The, The content that we teach connects with real live people in real live events of their lives. And how do we take that seriously? Yeah. Which going back to our Wesleyan roots, and that's very much what those questions were about in the the class meetings and band meetings is, and and taking this rich theology of salvation there, their soteriology, and then how do we live this out in our everyday experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, let's go back to yeah. that. Pay attention to the text. Yeah. Uh, 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 pay attention to the learners and and uh, uh, pay attention to the method. If you look at the way Jesus taught in uh, as recorded in the Gospels, mm-hmm. 
Jesus was very concerned about the content. Mm -hmm. And again, the content was love God, love neighbor, and the content was the markers of the emergence of the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. in the reality of people's presence. Jesus was concerned people got that content. But Jesus paid very clear attention to the learners. Note the themes of his parables, sowing seed, being day laborers, encountering religious hierarchies, being children of God. Jesus's parables drew from the daily life of people and connected with that daily life. And then finally, Jesus's parables and his teaching always ended with a kind of decision or choice. Yeah, true. If you remember, after he healed a group of people that were ill, some of them just went away. That's right. But there was one who came back, asked Jesus what to do. He went back into the town and tried to restore community. Mm-hmm. Or there's the story of the rich young ruler right. who came to him and said, what is the way by which I should live? Jesus reminded him, love God and love neighbor. And then when they talked concretely about what that meant and how his riches were getting in the way, he walked away sad. Mm -hmm. So there was a kind of decision at the end of education. And, And I believe if people are struggling with questions, both good and Uh, difficult in their daily lives, and we're providing the resources of the faith Mm. for them to look at those, then there's a question about how do we put those together and now live? Mm. And I'm afraid that too much of teaching in our Sunday school classes is simply content. Mm. that does not connect with those stories of people's lives. And even when it does, then we don't help people by asking the question, so what? Mm. What does this mean for who you are, the decisions you make, and the way that you're going to continue to live? Yeah. You know, two stories hit me as you were sharing those. One is the parable of the prodigal. That's the way I put it, parable of the prodigals. Right, there's, there's multiple of them in that story, but the way it ends is you're left with the father and the older son, and you're left with, what did the older son do? Right, And Jesus leaves it open-ended for us to kind of enter into the story. Uh-huh. Right, What decision are we going to, what, what decision should he make? What decision does that mean I should make? And I also thought then of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I mean, think of the context of, of, of a slave's job that he's doing. Yeah. And how that taught them in a richer way than just simply saying, you know, you really should love each other pretty radically. <laughs> yes. Right. When he takes, you know, that position and say, this is how you should love one another. Yeah. I, 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 I love one of the new and um, um, interpretations of the, uh, the story of the prodigal. Mm. Because the question is that the prodigal comes home. The father welcomes him home. Mm-hmm. That means that that son is important and that he matters and that his life will, in fact, be different Mm. because he matters. Mm. Then the question is that the older son is feeling left out, Mm -hmm. but he also matters. That's right. So the question then becomes, how do both of these sons matter? 
How have their lives changed? What does it mean now for us to restore family? Mm. Because there's new things that need to be done for us to restore family. That's the way content is calling us to make decisions about how we are to live in a daily kind of fashion. Yeah. So a question has occurred to me, and I'll kind of make I'll make this our last question. And I'm just curious here. Um, the what I see too often, and perhaps I see it too often on social media, is the way I follow Jesus should be the exact same way you follow Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus the exact same way I follow Jesus, you're not really following Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that may take us down a road we don't want to go down, and we don't have. A yeah, lot of yeah, time but but the, 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 let me play with that for a quick minute yeah, and, yeah. and see if it does. Yeah. Re- remember, if if I'm in any way accurate about the content and about then how do we connect to that? Loving God and loving neighbor is different in different circumstances. Mm. So, in fact, there's a principle that right. is guiding us. That's right. Then, secondly, if God's kingdom is, in fact, emerging in everyday life, and we're looking for moments of healing, for holding up the grieving, for visiting the prisoners, for announcing the good news, that will, in fact, be different Mm. depending upon different experiences. But again, there's another principle. So to follow the Shema Mm -hmm. and to follow the markers of God's kingdom are ways that both you and I try to live it out. It's going to look different. It's going to look different. And I can't impose it on somebody else. That's right. But it better be at the center of who I am. That's right. Let us point each other to Christ. Yes. And it's what Jesus is doing and not just simply the way I've experienced it. Right. I think that's a helpful message in a partisan time yep. that we can't help as Methodists especially to to be a part of. So I I hope that's helpful for folks to to hear and think, think in terms of mercy and compassion as as we have these difficult conversations going forward in your small groups to let's focus each other towards Jesus and not just what we think and our opinions. So, um, Jack, this has been rich. Every time I talk to you, it's rich. And, and I learned I learned something from the book. I learned something just in our interaction today. And, and teaching is about learning. Teaching is about learning. I'm going to kind of refrain, just keep that refrain going in my head. Um, I recommend the book. Any last words of wisdom for us before I, we? I just say thanks, Scott. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I've learned a lot too. It's good to be here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I wish we yeah. had another couple of episodes we could go through. Perhaps we'll we'll get you in the studio again and talk about some more stuff because you you've always got a lot of good content. So so thank you. And I also want to thank those who helped make this possible. Sitting across the desk is also Blake. Our technical director, we also have Matt Carlisle, our web producer, and Steve Horswell-Johnson, our executive producer. As always, we want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. Please uh, shoot me your questions, your comments, your suggestions for future topics. You can find me on Twitter at RevScottsTweets, also at uh, UMC Adult Form for adult formation. Uh, You can find more information on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.